You're tuned in to the thinking out loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you, featuring author, speaker, and minister. Michael Nimmons. We want to welcome you to a brand new uh, edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We are back. We took a week off uh, to kind of relax uh, a little bit after our birthday, uh, April the 1st, and uh, uh, just, uh, you know, get some relaxation. I, th- I think it was important that we did that. But we are back, guys, with a brand new edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking about mental health and suicide. This edition is called the Mental Health Matters edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And and, uh, I'm just so glad to uh, be able to uh, take the time in this week's edition to discuss it. I have a... Uh, licensed uh, clinical psychotherapist who's also a good friend of mine, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham, who's going to be uh, with us and sharing in an interview we had recently. And uh, was trained, I would like to say I was thoroughly trained because in the military we get extensive training in a lot of different areas because the military is a very diverse population of people, right? And so um, I've actually been trained to provide substance abuse counseling, uh, maltreatment, what we call, you know, mild abuse for families uh, who are experiencing domestic violence. I've been trained in those areas. I've been trained to work with uh, children with early intervention, early intervention development delays. I've been trained to work with couples and, and all of this through the military. It's got to fight for your peace at home you've got to fight for your sanity you've got to fight for your mental stability you've got to fight to overcome you've got to fight to have peace you've got to fight for your children you've got to fight for your family you've got to fight for your loved ones you've got to fight to defeat depression you've got to fight to overcome this demon of suicide you gotta fight you gotta fight you gotta fight
Hello and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nimmons. And you're tuned in to the show that's giving voice to issues that matter to you. We want to welcome you to a brand new uh, edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We are back. We took a week off uh, to kind of relax a little bit after our birthday, uh, April the 1st, and uh, uh, just, uh, you know, get some relaxation. I I think it was important that we did that But we are back guys with a brand new edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show And uh, this week we're going to be talking about mental health and suicide This edition is called the Mental Health Matters edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show And um, just felt led to talk mental health and suicide in this month's on this week's edition of the thinking out loud radio show uh there's so many people that are dealing with mental health issues and um i'm just so glad to uh, be able to uh take the time in this week's edition to discuss it i have a, a licensed uh clinical psychotherapist who's also a good friend of mine dr Dwayne buckingham who's going to be uh with us and sharing in an interview we had recently with him talking about mental health suicide and a number of different subtopics that fall under the category of mental health and suicide but before we jump into any of that guys i just want to give a very special shout out to a good friend of ours um, who's doing some big things in the nba uh we mentioned him a couple shows ago Coach Willie Green of the NBA New Orleans Pelicans. Um, And they are doing uh, some great things, guys. Uh, This team just clinched the playoff spot uh, after the play-in tournament uh, uh, on yesterday, uh, uh, edging out the... LA Clippers uh, in a, a nail biter of a game, and before that, uh, beating the um, San Antonio Spurs. And uh, now they've clinched a playoff spot, and they're going to be playing the Phoenix Suns, uh, I believe, on Sunday. Uh, no, actually, they're going to be playing the Suns uh, tonight at 10 p.m. Tonight at 10 p.m. Uh, on TNT. So we'll be looking forward to watching Willie Green and the New Orleans Pelicans uh, play uh, the number one seed in the NBA right now, the Phoenix Suns, uh, and his um, <clears throat> and see how they uh, they come out. But man, excited for my good friend, uh, Coach Willie Green. And I want to share some audio uh, from a huddle that he had recently uh, with his uh, players. Uh, they were down 10 points against the uh, L.A. Clippers on last night. And uh, this is what he said to them in the huddle. Take a listen. So there you have it, guys. 
you can hear it in his voice he is inspiring he's motivating his players to play even above their own capabilities and uh i just you know it's, it's giving me chills just watching and seeing this team improve game in and game out and now they're going to be playing the phoenix suns uh at night actually uh at 10 p.m on tnt so we'll be rooting for them playing the number one seed in the nba hoping that they will be successful so again shouts out to uh, coach willie green cj mccullum brandon ingram and the entire team of the new orleans pelicans we'll be watching and praying that you guys really do well in this season of the nba playoffs Also, if you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, we strongly recommend you contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a United States-based suicide prevention network of over 160 crisis centers that provides 24-7 service via toll-free hotline with the phone number 1-800-273-8255. The website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. We recommend going there immediately. If you're contemplating suicide, you need somebody to talk to right away. Call that number again, 1-800-273-8255. Remember, your mental health is worth fighting for. Man, listening to Willie Green's um, uh, motivating his players in that speech he gave uh, during the huddle there, it really inspired me so much so uh, that we have a, a thought of the week that uh, is derived from that, and it's called "You Got to Fight." You got to fight, and uh, it's going to be one that we'll be sharing with you at the end of this week's show. But it's a motivating, uh, empowering, powerful uh, uh, thought of the week that. I think goes ties directly into uh, our discussion about mental health and suicide because you have got to fight for your mental health. You've got to fight. Uh, you've got to fight for your mental stability. You've got to fight for your peace of mind. You have got to fight for it. Um, uh, uh. So needless to say, guys, we've got a great show in store for you. We're so glad again to be back. And uh, and again, we'll be sharing with you an interview we had with our good friend, licensed clinical therapist, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham, talking about Will and Jada, talking about mental health in the black church, COVID, sports and mental health, and so much more. We have got a great uh, uh, interview in store for you. We're going to get out of the way and take our first break. But when we come back, we're jumping right into my interview with my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. Buckingham, licensed clinical psychotherapist, uh, on this week's edition, the Mental Health Matters edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Maya Nemes, and I want you to listen to my dad, Michael Nemes, on the Thinking Out Loud radio show every Tuesday at 8 p.m., available everywhere you listen to your podcast, and now available on the Detroit Praise Network website. You better listen to that little girl, the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Global advocate, Martin Luther King III. So I I think the future is 
is the, the best probably is yet to come, particularly coming out of this phase right now, coming out of, you know, the last four years of being dark and desolate. I mean, the last four years, theoretically, could cause, uh, have caused people to, to have lost faith, particularly if, if Trump had won. I think our, we wouldn't have a democracy if this man had been reelected. We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Black to the bone, to the core, to the root, I am to America a very strange fruit. Born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles. I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history. And it's a mystery how they miss me or people like me when our backs were broken from building this country and our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be freed for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves' tears because fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. And in the heirlooms, the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency, denying black beauty and black pride. Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Refined, rebranded, reinvented, reinvigorated, revived. The new michaelnimmons.com website is finally here. And believe me, it's worth the wait. A state-of-the-art website where you can listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast, watch Thinking Out Loud TV, read the Thinking Out Loud blog, purchase books and swag, and so much more. Subscribe today and get a free gift on us. Stop by the new michaelnimmons.com. It is sure to be a thought for working experience. What is up, beautiful people? It's your girl, Lex Devine, in the building, kicking it with yours truly, Michael Nimmons, on the Thinking Out Loud radio and TV show. All right, y'all, stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. All right, guys, we are back on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, and I have a great guest with us this week. I told you guys this month we're going to be talking mental health and suicide, Uh, and uh, I I think those are two very important issues that we want to address, and uh, I think we have uh, the right guest for us this week to jump right into it. But before we uh, jump into the interview, uh, let's give him a proper introduction. Um, he is a licensed clinical psychotherapist, retired, decorated veteran, 
and CEO of Buckingham Consulting Group, LLC. As a highly acclaimed international clinical psychotherapist, he's provided psychological assessments and treatment to over 40,000 individuals, couples, groups, and families worldwide. Through consulting, counseling, coaching, and training, he enables individuals and organizations to find solutions to problems and produce sustainable results. Uh, his expertise has been relied upon in a wide variety of articles, podcasts, and radio segments. And he's also been featured on NBC, ABC, Fox 2 News, Essence, The CW11, The Daily Drum, Huffington Post, and numerous other media outlets. I want you to give a warm Thinking Out Loud radio show welcome to licensed clinical psychotherapist, entrepreneur, and very good friend of ours, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Hey, thank you for having me, Mike. It's good to catch up with you. We uh, have some history. Yes, so we it's do. It's good to kind of uh, be here and uh, just talk with you. I appreciate you for inviting me to the show. Absolutely, absolutely. Dwayne, uh, Dr. Buckingham and I go way back, and uh, we'll probably get into some of that uh, throughout the interview. But, you know, uh, in, in fact, uh, he's been on the podcast before. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've had him on to talk about mental health uh, in the past. And so I'm, again, very excited, uh, as I said, to have him back. Uh, and this month we want to talk about mental health and suicide, because I believe there's so many people that are dealing with all kinds of mental health issues that, you know, uh, quite frankly, may, may or may not even being are, are being addressed. And so uh, we want to use this platform uh, to, you know, provide uh, solutions and provide opportunities for people to uh, get the help that they need. So I want us to jump off into uh, into our conversation this way. You know, you are a licensed clinical psychotherapist. I want you to tell our listeners, you know, what uh, type of patients do you normally see? Okay, well, I am pretty much just a little bit of history to understand some of the credentialing. I actually started my career in the uh, military, as you mentioned, decorated veteran, and uh, was trained. I would like to say I was thoroughly trained because in the military, we get extensive training in a lot of different areas because the military is a very diverse population of people. Right. And so. Um, I've actually been trained to provide substance abuse counseling, uh, maltreatment, what we call, you know, mild abuse for families uh, who are experiencing domestic violence. I've been trained in those areas. I've been trained to work with uh, children with early intervention, early intervention development delays. I've been trained to work with couples and, and all this through the military. And so I work with a wide variety of different individuals. Now, each one of us as mental health professionals will have a tendency to specialize in certain areas. So I actually specialize in trauma work, working with individuals around post-traumatic stress disorder. I also specialize in working with marriage couples, do a lot of marriage couples. And then when we talk about individual counseling, I do a great deal of working with individuals who are experiencing anxiety slash depression. Um, my demographic populations, now the populations of people I like to work with, I work with all different backgrounds, but I like to specialize in working with members from the military and veterans, active duty members and veterans, 
African-Americans, because that's the skin that I wear every day. And then, you know, I also provide a lot of therapy to women, whether it be married or individual, white, black or whatever. But those are the demographics of people that I work with. Okay, all right. And, um, you know, as I said, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing that, you know, mental health is becoming a, a, a topic of conversation in uh, a growing topic of conversation uh, here lately. And uh, we plan to really uh, take some time to address that in this week's podcast. But, you know, historically speaking, when we're talking about uh, the Christian church, for example, uh, when you talk therapy, uh, this was a subject that was has always been considered taboo. Uh, we, we we didn't talk uh, we didn't talk about therapy. It was prayer. We prayed about it. We gave it to the Lord, and He'll work it out. Uh, we didn't yeah. we didn't we didn't address it uh, with anybody other than God in most cases. Uh, and uh, and and so um, my question really deals with the evolution of the Christian church and how therapy is viewed uh, now versus then is therapy is Christian is, is therapy still considered taboo in the Christian church? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent question. I think it's extremely taboo still to this day. Now I'm going to use this to say we've made progress and, and we know that it's taboo in the fact that spirituality has been the way that has helped black people throughout history. If we trace it back to slavery, all up through civil rights, we've always leaned on spirituality and praying as a way. And so psychology and then that other people praying have always been on opposite you know, sides of the fence. Right. So, you know, historically we've had that and we held that because it's been foundational. Now, when I say it's taboo, but we've made progress. We have made progress because I actually do work with pastors who have actually brought me in to deal with mental health issues. And they understand that there is a difference between psychology and the secular, I mean, the secular world and the spiritual world. Mm. And so I actually created a program called the Academy for Pastoral Psychological Care, where I actually teach pastors how to balance theology and psychology. And so we've made progress in that area that I've gone into several churches. I work with pastors, matter of fact, and I help them because I provided some statistics to pastors of looking at some very popular pastors who've actually committed suicide. Right. And so I'm always getting the question, like if the people who are leading the flock and if they are vulnerable to suicide and they are the pastors what can we do? And the answer is mental health. So that's what I mean by we've made some progress in the church because I've worked with at least 20 churches um, and provided services to the pastors of those churches on mental health issues. And, and, and tell us about some of those conversations. I mean, you know, you say you work with 20, 20 pastors and, you know, uh, you, what, what are, what are those what are those conversations like? What what are what kinds of things are are, are addressed and discussed when it comes to uh, mental health and therapy? 
Right. So with these pastors, what I teach them, and it is interesting because, as you know, um, some of our leaders go through theology school and then some of them are just calling to the ministry. Right. right. And so they don't, all, all pastors are not equal in terms of their training. Correct. So with that being said, there is a different development in terms of their, their, their spiritual walk. But what I actually teach them and what I like to help them understand is that when we talk about the threefold of man, we talk about the soul, the psyche, and then we talk about, we talk about the spirit, the overall body, right? So what I actually teach them is that the Greek word for psyche is soul. Mm. And so what happens is that you have a lot of people who are in the church and what's being nurtured is what we call the spirit. And that's where the reverence and the fellowship and all that is. So you hear people say they're very spiritual, but if you understand the makeup of man, the, the attack and where devil attacks is actually the soul. Now, again, the Greek word for soul is psyche. So this is why our free will lies. And so how do we have so many people in the church who are sick? Because they are surrounded in reverence and preaching and fellowship, and they're building up the spirit, but nothing is being done to nurture the soul, which is a psyche. So the way I enter with these pastors and understand that you can have a person in, in church and they can be Holy Ghost and shouting and screaming and be depressed at the same time, because that's where the free will is at, is in the psyche. So what I'm helping them understand is that when we have mental health issues, it has nothing to do with the person's belief and their faith in God because we were born into sin, which means your flesh attacks and the world attacks your flesh and it attacks your mind, which is the soul. So that's how I've been able to bridge it with them. And it shows up because they come to me saying, Dr. Buckingham, I'm depressed. I have all this pressure on me as a pastor to make sure that finances are done right in the church, that we can pay the bills in the church. I have all this responsibility to come to me and make sure that I can pray for those who are sick. And you know what? At times at night, I'm crying myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they are shining in the light and they're suffering in the dark. Mm. And many of them will say to me, the conversations would be, I cannot talk about my home mental health because in the church, we have a tendency to be judgmental. And so the minute that the pastor talks about anything that makes him or her feel like they're not walking on cloud nine because they believe in God, they're going to be judged. The fear of judgment is the flock is going to leave. Right. I'm going to lose members. Right. That is tied to, if we're going to keep it really real, it's tied to a lot of things. I'd be able to do outreach for the church because it needs money to keep. So it's a whole cycle of things that they're kind of like dealing with. And so instead of them coming up and saying in the pulpit, you know what? I am suffering. They hide it. Right. Because they themselves don't want to be judged by the flock. And, and to add to that, not just the judgmental part, but the pastor, because they are the leader, they're the face uh, in many cases of what God looks like to their uh, to the flock. If they show any signs of vulnerability to the flock, then that means that in the flock's mind that the pastor, them, the pastor themselves are weak, that yes. they're, they're not where they're supposed to be. And and that, you know, maybe there may, maybe there is a. Uh, there, there, there isn't uh, this God thing isn't what is cracked up to be, you know, yeah. because if he's having problems, then and, and he's the one trying to trying to, to, to encourage me and lift me up and he's going through then you know, what what, what, what what's going what where, where where do I look to for, for help? Who do I look to right. for help? And you brought up a point earlier 
where there have been several pastors that have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And and I and I, I know when that when I heard about that and when I heard about, uh, you know, pastors that have overdosed uh, with drug abuse, you know, mm-hmm. that are pastors in front of congregations that they are preaching to and ministering to every single Sunday. And yet they have their own private battles. You know, uh, again, I know speaking from experience as a uh, minister and a pastor uh, in that capacity, that is just the human side of that person that, like you said, we are born into sin and we're all dealing with things, but the congregation is looking to that leader uh, to be their strength and looking to that leader to be the face of God for them, not understanding that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that man, that woman, whoever is, is leading could actually fall and God still be with, will still be with them because they are at the end of the day, still human. Right. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not, if they fall is when they fall. when they fall right because we're born into sin and so again the body the spirit and the soul and so we're attacked and what i mean by if or when because one way that it's going to happen it, yes that we're attacked is sometimes in the body which means that even if you have a medical condition such as cancer or diabetes or high blood pressure which is prevalent in the black community that attacks your body when your body is under attack it attacks your soul and your spirit And so your mental health doesn't always be the first thing that gets attacked. Your body can be attacked first. That dampens your spirit. That destroys your mind, your psyche. And so we have to understand that sin penetrates on all different levels. And so when we have our pastors out there in front, when we put them on a pedestal, right? if they can do no wrong, be no wrong, that's part of that pressure that we put on them. And every pipe is going to bust with pressure. Mm -hmm. And so there's not a human being who's walking this earth who does not bust. And when I say bust, meaning have a breakdown. There is any mental health professional who've told you that they've never had a mental episode. I would tell you, don't talk to them professionally. It's the same (laughs) way with the pastor. Mm -hmm. If you talk to a Mm -hmm. pastor who appears to have it all together, run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say run, run, because <laughs> you know that's not the truth. That is not, not the, the truth. truth. Exactly, I agree with that a hundred percent. And 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 so that being said, now earlier you said that uh, that that therapy is still considered taboo in the Christian church. Um, my question is, why does therapy? Uh, seem to carry with it a negative connotation in the Christian church when there are so many people, as you said, that are sick, that are hurting, that are in need of some type of therapy, and yet it carries with it this negative connotation. Right, and the negative connotation is tied to fear. Mm. Fear is the number one emotional thing that keep a lot of people from using their intellect to do what's right because that fear will hold them a hostage. And so fear of being judged, as we just talked about. Mm. The other fear is doing the unknown. If you tell me to go to get some mental health, I have no idea what that looks like. I have Mm. no idea how I'm supposed to show up in that space. I have no idea even how to look for a therapist. 
so that fear of the unfamiliar, when I tell people individuals engage in unhealthy behavior, not because they like it, but because they're accustomed to it. Mm. See, it is, is afraid if I know how to suffer, which we are, unfortunately, as a culture, unfortunately, we've learned how to be good at it. We learn how to suffer, survive and keep moving, you know, fake it till you make it. We got cliches and all kinds of things that <laughs> tell us how to keep moving in our pain. Mm-hmm. And so if I know how to move in my pain, it sometimes scares me to move in my blessing, which mm. is blessing. Mm. And wow. so I don't know how to heal, but I know how to move in pain. Right. Wow. I know how to move in pain. And I can, and, and, and that's almost like uh, wearing a mask. You know, we, 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 we look in church and church is the great, a a great place uh, to, to use that as an example, because we're wearing masks in church and and now with COVID, you know, we're, you know, in most, in most churches where people are wearing masks uh, physically, but even, even mentally, emotionally, we're wearing masks to mask the pain and mask the hurt of what's going on in our real lives. And so, yeah, you're, you're right that we know how to move in pain, but we don't know how to heal. Why is healing uh, so, so hard for, for people in, in church? Right. And I think healing it, you have to define what healing like looks like. And, and so healing of itself for some people from a spiritual standpoint is having a great relationship with God. Mm. And 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 they, you know, I'm I'm healed because you know when I'm suffering I can pray to my Lord and He just gonna you know take it over and it, and so they they associate healing with faith, and and I associate healing with work, and see that's even part of the scripture faith without works is dead. Correct. And so healing for me is about being healthy, and so you can actually be a spiritual person and not be healthy. And you can be one of the things we understand that happens in the church is that you will see a brother or sister say, I'm suffering. And the first thing is say, you just need to pray, girl. Not you need to get some professional help, not that you need to process that pain. Just pray about it, give it to God and he'll take care of it. So what Christianity has done for us in the black community is that it's created a group of what I call them passive believers. Mm. They're passive believers because as long as I got to pray and give it to God, I don't have to do nothing. Mm. Wow. Passive believers. We breathe it in the church. Passive believers, passive believers. And, and, and with that being said, are we, are we also saying that, you know, we, we, I'm giving it to God, but, but, but is there, is there also implicitly uh, the notion that if God can't handle it, it just can't be handled. Yeah. Yeah. B- because I think, you know, what we have to teach is giving it give is a, an actual verb. It's an action. It's something that you kind of do. But also the reason why I combine psychology, theology and psychology is because when you are giving something, psychology tell us that there is an exchange in everything. And so as I give it to God, my belief is that he's going to give me something, which means he have created psychologists and mental health professionals to put in place that when you give him, he directs and orders your steps. The problem is that because we're passive believers, many of us are not good at discernment. We're not good at understanding those signals and signs when he is saying to us, go kind of get help. And so it's this abstract way of believing that God, once he has it, is good. What exactly does that mean? 
Mm. And that's what we have to define and help people understand what does that actually mean? And then what will happen is that many would take scripture. They'll go to the Bible and they'll pick uh, Job did this or they'll, they'll pick something and they'll try to take that story and relate it to their situation without no application, mm. without no contextual reference to their situation. And so I, I just think that, you know, a lot of people go into the church to heal, but the definition of healing is sometimes tied to a passive faith and it has carried us for generations. And what I mean by it is carried us for generations. If you understand our history, the one thing that the white man gave us doing slavery was a Bible because a Bible teaches to be passive. And when I'm not saying the Bible teaches it, I'm saying the way that the man teaches it. I'm not saying the Bible in of itself, but if man doesn't teach you the application of how to use scripture and apply it to your life, it becomes a passive tool where all I have to do is pray and hope. And one day, God right. is going to come and deliver. Right, right. He keeps you standing still doing nothing, Mike. Mm-hmm. That, that is so true. And, and, and that's what many people have done. And that's the, 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 the misperception uh, of, of, uh, of the Bible and God's word that people have uh, and, and has done damage to not just their spirit, but their mentality, because like you said, they're passive believers. They don't that like you, it, it, you have to do something. God, God, you, you, we partner with God in order for things to happen in our lives, but we can't just believe that we'll give it to him and he'll take care of it. Yes, that is, that is true, but, but he's also requiring us to do some things as well. And, um, and, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on. And, and um, I, I, I agree with, 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 with what you're saying, because um, that, that is, that I, I believe that is indeed a problem that uh, Christians are dealing with in church. Yes. God Here gave us one of the greatest gifts ever. It's called free will. Hmm. And so when we talk about free will, free will is the psyche, it's the soul. The greatest gift he ever gave you was your mind. And so when you neglect that gift, which is a gift of free will, which means you get to wake up every day and choose your path and your destiny. And we know from Adam and Eve, he gave that gift. And so when we say that he takes care of, he does take care of, but he doesn't always take from you, which means he allows us to operate. And so when we are suffering and when we're in pain, that gift that he gave us gives us the ability to make decisions to go get some help. But that gift also allows us to suffer in darkness. It's mm-hmm. a gift that if you abuse that gift, that he does not demonstrate or he did not dictate how you use that gift. Because we know if we believe that he's all power, he does all which we do. We know that he can actually stop and prevent things from happening. But what he does not do is that he does. He's not an Indian giver. When he gave us the gift of free will, it was ours to have. Mm. So he can and he will and he maybe does intervene at times. But why do bad things happen to good people? Because he also allows us to use our free will. That's true. (laughs) That is so true. And people typically in the in the Christian church and even those that are on the outside looking in, you know, want to. 
victimize themselves and blame God for everything. And, you know, it's God's fault that I'm this way and it's God's fault that this happened to me. But, you know, instead of looking introspectively at themselves, uh, -hmm. you know, because again, like you said, he gave us free will, but with free will comes consequences for those choices that we made. And it's not God's fault that we made those choices because he gave you free will just like he gave it to everybody. And whatever you do with that free will is your, either your fault or uh, your, or, or it is a consequence of fault or reward that goes along with that. Because you also have the ability to follow his will for your life. And with following his will comes the reward of, of doing so. But when you decide to, right. When you choose to do your, when you choose to do your own thing, then guess what? You, you'll get rewarded, but it's the consequence that goes along with that. And um, yeah. And, and, and people don't understand that. Yeah. Now we go, when you choose to neglect your mental health, you choose to inflict, inflict pain on yourself and others. That's mm. the choice that you're making. Wow. When you get to wake up and dwell in your depression, dwell in, in your suicidal thoughts, dwell in the fact that you are suffering from financial disease, and you dwell in that and choose not to get help, you inflict pain on yourself and everybody in your circle. That's a choice that you make. Now, individuals say, Dr. Buckingham, finances plays into how we get mental health. A lot of things play into how we assume mental health. But what I'd also say is that how you figure out how to be resourceful is also part of your mental health because there are resources that are free. The church in some of the churches that I go into and I work with the pastors, the pastors do provide some forms of mental health counseling in their congregation and have access to it. Now, that is something that's available to you. But the the issue becomes you're afraid to walk through that door of being judged again. Mm. So some of us have resources available and we still won't use the resources. That's a choice. Mm, That's a choice. I know you guys enjoy my interview with uh, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham, clinical licensed clinical psychotherapist. He's with us this week talking about mental health and suicide on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Guys, we're getting ready to take our first break. When we come back, we're jumping right back into my interview with this great uh, psychotherapist uh, and entrepreneur, my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. We'll be right back. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons for over 20,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and MichaelNimmons.com. Tune in today. The Thinking Out Loud radio show giving voice to issues that matter to you.
have spoken. From Minneapolis, Minnesota to London, England. From New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. All right, guys, we are back and uh, I'm enjoying my conversation with my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham, who is a licensed clinical psychotherapist uh, on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And we were talking in the first segment about, um, you know, mental health and uh, the intersection of mental health and the church. And and particularly, uh, is it taboo uh, in the church? And, you know, in this discussion, it was determined that is still considered taboo and still in many circles in the Christian church. Uh, there's much progress that is that still needs to be made, even though, according to Dr. Buckingham, uh, there is progress that is being made. Pastors are, uh, you know, believing that that therapy is important, that they are, uh, in fact, bringing him in to do therapy sessions and to uh, and to to talk about mental health because pastors do counsel you know they do uh, counsel their members and they do talk to their members on the regular uh, but in this segment as we transition a little bit uh, out into uh, popular culture we all know what happened uh, just a few weeks ago the slap that was heard around the world <laughs> uh, watching the Oscars uh, many of us uh, you know know that Will Smith uh, smack Chris Rock and you know I was um, I'm on social media quite a bit and I ran across Dr. Buckingham uh, uh, Facebook page and he he made a great post there that I uh, actually encouraged me to reach out to him to be on the show of uh, this week so I want to read something to uh, to you the listeners uh, and I want uh, Dr. Buckingham to uh, elaborate on it. You made an interesting point that I'd like you to delve more into regarding the incident that took place just a few weeks ago. Uh, again, uh, we know Will Smith smacked Chris Rock for telling what many uh, believe to be a harmless joke about his wife, J Jada Pickett Smith. Uh, but you said, and I quote, most people heard a man talking about protecting women. While I heard that as well, I also heard a man who stated that he is overwhelmed. He appeared to be emotionally exhausted. I want you to share with us and elaborate a bit on that statement from a therapist standpoint. Why do you think that Will stated he was overwhelmed and he appeared to be emotionally exhausted? Well, you know, the slap around the world, I think what we witnessed 
is um, an emotional breakdown that mm. occurred before the world. And so when we talk about, you know, defending a woman's honor, that was a part of that, what we witnessed, because in his book, he talks about how he struggled with being a coward as he watched his mother be abused for years by his father. And a lot of what drove him was to be in a position where he would be a protector. He, he would be able to, to be that person who kind of shows up. So when I talk about emotional overwhelm, as we look at what led up to the Oscars with the Rhea table and the, the entanglement, and you know, for one point, the man was ridiculed and, and he was a joke. And when we look at the red table and you can just see the emotion on his face doing that, if you ever go and look at any clip, he was beat down, he was dragged down, he was drawn out. And so the Oscars was a byproduct of a buildup that was building right in front of us. And sometimes what we believe is hidden from us is right in front of us. And so the display of the slap was just that emotional breakdown. It wasn't solely just about him protecting Jada. It was about him protecting Jada, his mother, and every other woman. Because the the, the, the disturbing, disturbing part is that when he said and gave his, his speech, he said, you know, I was pregnant those young ladies. And he was talking about the actors. And, and what I looked at and said, this brother's a little bit off because this was a movie. <laughs> but to him, it was real. It was real. That he was protecting these women <laughs> like Richard, you know, King Richard did. And, and so that just tells you his emotional overwhelm. And we saw an emotional breakdown that led to a behavior. I'll end with this. Behind every behavior, there's an emotion. So when we see inappropriate behavior, most of us look at the behavior and we try to figure out what's going on. But if you truly want to understand the behavior, search for the emotion pain, suffering, embarrassment, whatever that emotion that was strong in him at that time is what triggered the behavior. I agree. I agree with that. And, you know, uh, when you look at what happened and, you know, the camera went to him after Chris Rock told the joke and Will was smiling at first, you know, uh, but then the camera broke, broke away and then the next thing you saw was Will walking up on the stage uh, to respond physically to the joke that that Chris Rock told about Jada. And you and you saw Jada and her her expression was there, there was no laughter. Her eyes were rolled. She looked visibly distraught by by the joke. And uh, and some believe that that's what uh, what triggered Will to jump on to walk up uh, to walk on the stage and to actually slap Chris Rock. So, you know, I, I, I want to know, do you think um, the, the, that um, was it, was it wheel protecting women or was it wheel responding to Jada's reaction to the joke? told about her. Yeah, I think you use the word that we like to use in, in psychology called trigger. Mm -hmm. So I believe that Jada's reaction was a trigger to Will's trauma. Mm. So <laughs> that that's what we witnessed is that it was a trigger 
to previous times of when he did not do what he thought he should have done. Mm -hmm. And so if I was to be a while on the floor, if I could interview Will, I would predict in that moment, that impulse, he saw that reaction from her. It triggered really quick because when we have a trauma brain, the trauma brain processes faster and quicker than most of us are realizing what we're doing. And the reason why it does that is because if we have actually had a history of trauma and we have not getting, gotten any kind of help, the brain is not wired to process anything but that trauma. And so that's how we jump into fight or flight. So what we saw in that moment was that trauma hit, he had a, a, a fear reaction, I have to do something, and typically he could not flight in that situation. So in, when we don't flight, we fight. We fight. Mm. And those are the two reactions you see when fear builds up, when anxiety builds up, when the sense of uncomfort builds up, we're going to do one or the other. So was this all about him protecting Jada and women around the world? This was a man who was fighting. Mm. And he wasn't just fighting for the women. He's fighting for his own ego, fighting for all the things he did not do based on his own best-selling book. We saw a man who was fighting and the trigger was that woman, was his wife. Was that's his what wife. we saw. Yeah, that, that's true. So, so yeah. Jada actually was the trigger. And, trigger. And, and, you know, you mentioned the red table uh, and that's been a conversation that, that, we've, that, that people have been having over these past few weeks. You know, of course, we all know about the entanglement because of Will and Jada. You know, mm -hmm. they, they've shared this information with us. Uh, you've talked about, you know, um, counseling married couples. Um, you know, for me, it doesn't appear to be the most healthiest approach to, uh, to, 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 um, to marriage, to problems in your marriage by sitting down, uh, doing a Facebook live to the world about what's going on in your bedroom. I, I just don't, I just don't see the, 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 the solution behind that. I don't, I don't see a, a healthy resolution behind that. To me, if it, it seemed like we, uh, Jada was washing what she did in Will's face, because what we don't know is, uh, what happened before the red table, you know, uh, was that if was it addressed between the two of them in private? Did Will forgive her or was this the first opportunity they had to address it together? To me, it just was not a healthy exchange. And, right. and, and those types of things should, I believe, be addressed between a man and a wife and not in front of the, the entire world. What, what are your thoughts about that? No, I agree. I mean, I literally, like I said, over the years, I've provided marriage therapy to hundreds and hundreds of, of couples. Right. And um, I think that there's some fundamental things that have to, to be on the table. And, and one of them is called empathy. And mm -hmm. I think for me, the red table was a total this, you know, total lack of empathy, which which means to me, you know, people would say that they had an open marriage behind closed doors and they probably agreed to it. And and Will obviously came on the red table to kind of actually discuss it. But I, I think he came on it to where I don't think he had an option. And what I mean by I don't think he had an option is the world knew 
And either you're going to talk about me behind my back or let me get out here in front of it mm. to try to minimize some of the impact. And in mm. doing so, you actually exposed even more about how unhealthy the marriage was. was. And to the point to where when we would say, how could a man who get on national platform and hear his wife talk about an entanglement with another man, sleep with another man because sexually we had problems or we just wasn't there emotionally. But then this same man slaps another man for a joke. Right. Those are not equal. Understand <laughs> right, right, right. that you get on national television and have your wife say before the world that she slept with a young man and a joke. That's what I meant is emotional overwhelm and he broke. Mm-hmm. It was a buildup. Right. And and what, what Jada and, and what that displayed to me in marriage was a lack of empathy and compassion because their the bedroom pain should not be aired on national television. No. In my opinion, as a therapist, because the problem with Hollywood in and of itself is that your problems are already broadcast, but the intimacy don't have to be. No, it doesn't. That's that's your now, choice. Right. That's your choice. But they try to get out of it because part of it, a publicist would say, hey, Will, we need to get out in front of this because you got a new movie coming out. It's just like me working with attorneys who are a couple who's going through a divorce. The attorneys would show up and would say to the to the the spouse, her or him, hey, we need to get out in front of this and, you know, do the things that may not be healthy because they're worried about winning. And for me, I'm not worried about winning. I'm worried about your health. And Mm -hmm. so unfortunately, when we have these celebrities, other people who don't get the help they need professionally, I don't know where they're getting their advice from, but I believe some of that advice might be more public media driven than it is health driven. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I, I, I completely agree with that. And, and uh, it, it just seems that um, that there's so many things that went wrong and it was uh, it, 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 it was a buildup over time that that we saw, uh, you know, played out right in front of us. So my, my next question really deals with um, the actual reaction or overreaction uh to the joke what was it really a reaction or react was it really an overreaction or a reaction to the joke that uh that chris rock told about jada pickett because it seems to me if it was a build-up that it could very well just been a reaction and not necessarily an overreaction what are your thoughts there we go i agree with you 100 percent when people say it's an overreaction to an insensitive joke, because people say, well, the joke was insensitive. Let's not disregard the fact that many believe that the joke was insensitive. And I think if, if you understood the joke, was, was it insensitive? I think, you know, in this culture of cancel, everything is insensitive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can probably debate and argue over that, but everything is insensitive uh, around the particular joke. And then I think the idea that they say they didn't necessarily know that Chris Rock knew that she had a medical condition. Correct. In the first place, if to say that many believe it wasn't Will intended to attack her medical, but to do what he did as a comedian, which is to make joke. And as we know, there have been worse, unfortunately. Right. So to answer the question, was it an overreaction? I say that it was a build-up reaction that appeared to be an overreaction to something that was mounting. Hmm. I mean, that, that's just the end of the day. To me, that's my perspective, is that it was a mounting issue 
And the reaction, if we want to use the word just over, it was a bit much for the actual joke, in my opinion, because I just believe it wasn't just about the joke. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So so how would you if if, if you were in that situation, uh, you know, how would you have handled it? How 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 would how would you have, you know, Chris Rock is is talking about your wife uh, made a joke about your wife and you're in this public sphere. Uh, how would you have handled that situation? Right. That's an excellent question. Before I say that, though, too, I want to say this. We, we need to be careful that we don't condemn Will, because when we're talking about this man and if I'm saying that he broke down and if we're saying that we have to be able to confront mental health, why do we not put this in the box of mental health as opposed to a man who was famous and made a worldwide mistake and now we're crucifying him? Mm. So I, I just want to say that because when I look at more of this media and some people as a black man like to see a, a downfall, and I'm going to say that public, some like to see a downfall. And while we all agree, and I agree that it was wrong, violence is never the answer. So my first response, do I think that that was appropriate response and would I have done the same? Now, that's a million dollar question. Would I have done the same? If I was in Will Smith's shoes and had the emotional distress that he had and was in that moment, I don't know if I would have done anything different. So let's keep it real. Now, it's easy for me to say as a person who's sitting back and examining that it was wrong. And I could say intellectually, I would have stood up or potentially went up, got the mic without physically slapping him and saying, hey, brother, that's inappropriate or whatever. And that would have been a way to handle it. I could have actually just stood there in my seat and then said the same thing he said, keep my wife's name out your MF Mark without any violence. That could have been a way of handling it. Now, if he would have used that, some people would have said, okay, there was no violence, but Will was totally inappropriate because he used profanity. The point is we're going to always find some way to critique what another individual could have done. What I would like to frame this in is behind every behavior, there is an emotion. So all I'm saying to say that to say is that as we discuss this and we continue to discuss it across these many platforms is we're talking about mental health. So if we're talking about mental health, the question I would have for everybody is looking is does a person who have a mental health break get a pass? Mm, or does yeah. he get crucified to the fifth degree to where we make it not being ever to make a mistake publicly. That's a good point. You know, uh, should, should he get a pass because he had a mental health issue, but, but, you know, I could also see where some people would think that that's a, a, a pretty subjective uh, type of uh, type of question because anybody could, anybody, any response people could say, is mental health related. You know, they can say, well, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be because mental health is not something you can, you can, uh, you can sort of uh, quantitatively uh, determine, you know, right. but, um, but you, you, your point, I understand your point that, um, you know, we definitely should give him, uh, the benefit of the doubt that there was something more going on there than what we saw, because right. he was really not just responding to the joke, but it was a buildup of uh, of, a, of of a greater uh, experience or experiences that that had happened prior to that led him to respond that way. 
Um, which brings me to my next question, because just days later, after the Oscars, uh, Will might have been hit with a spirit of contrition and decided, you know what, I'm going to resign from uh, the Academy to kind of, uh, like you said, get out in front of this, uh, this punishment that's coming, because it was an unprecedented type of uh, type of response to a joke and he was on a worldwide stage i mean everyone it was global the oscars is not just in this country right but it's around the world and so the academy uh was was going to take the time to determine what kind of punishment they were going to hand down to uh to will uh but just recently we saw that the academy decided even after Will resigned from uh, the Academy itself to ban him from the Oscars for 10 years. I want to know from you, do you think that punishment was fair? Right. That's another excellent question. Who determines what's fair, right? (laughs) Especially when we're talking about, I'm going to call it a mental health crime. That's what I put this in the category. Will created a mental Mental health health crime. crime. Okay. All right. Under, under mental distress, you know, <laughs> he created a mental health crime <laughs> against society. He had all of us anxious and worried and depressed and sad and all that. And so he kind of did. So who gets to decide what's kind of fair? And so I'm going to say that a little clarity around, I say, give him a pass. The pass to me is not meaning that we don't hold him accountable. That's not what I'm referring to. Okay. The pass that that I'm referring to is looking at it through two different lenses, the lens of what we saw and then the lens of a man in distress. So the past that I'm referring to is, is taking those two perspectives and making your decision about the punishment from that perspective. The behavior was inappropriate. And then the emotional distress that led to that behavior Take that in consideration and is all I'm saying. And so do I think that it was fair that he resigned and then later they banned him for 10 years? Um, what's fair is, again, to your point, is subjective. And what I would have what else could have been done and someone else could have given him another punishment and we said that's not good. So it's, it's all subjective. All I would say is that I think the amount of distress that Will is experiencing, I think to me is punishment because there's no make no doubt about what that man did and where he's at. And I even think I saw something where whether it was fake news or not, what Jada was saying, she wished he had not done it. Mm. So now if we're just talking about what's fair in terms of punishment, who the hell cares about an Oscar? We're talking about a man's emotional well-being for the rest of his life. And now, from his perspective, a woman that he protected, if it's real news or fake news, he said, I wish he wouldn't have done it. Let's talk about fair in that. Let's right. talk about the punishment psychologically, what he has to endure. Right, right. Because he, you know, yeah, you, 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 that's a good point. Uh, I think I saw that as well. Um, and you know, if if he was going up to protect her honor and then she comes out later to say, you know, I wish he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> you talk about a man's hands being tied. Like, well, 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 well I'm doing this to protect you. You're not going to even stand by me in the midst of all of this. this yeah, that 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 is that is crazy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, baffled by not just what happened, but their relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. on so many levels because it doesn't seem like 
um, you know, he he supports her, but he doesn't seem to or appear to get the same support that he gives uh, uh, gives to her from her. Um, <laughs> he, you know, I I just don't I just don't feel that uh, from uh, from her. Uh, and, and, uh, that's a, that's an unhealthy relationship in my, in my view. Right. What, what keeps, and so this is what we have to understand about unhealthy relationships. When I do a lot of domestic violence work. And so we never think about men who be, or in domestic violence situations or relationships, right? Because 80% of domestic violence, when we look at gender speaking is men who are the perpetrators and women who are the the victims. Correct. But can it be the opposite? Mm. And so the other thing about domestic violence is that we look at physical, but domestic violence is not just physical in nature, it's emotional. Mm. So that goes in both directions. So can a man be abusive? Can a woman be abusive emotionally? And the answer to that is yes. And so if we peel back and look at a relationships, if we can say that maybe they're not beating on each other physically, but if I was a fly on the wall in their marriage or doing third, I would say there's probably some emotional abuse that's coming in both directions. And then so why do people stay in unhealthy, abusive kind of situations? Back to our culture is that we learn how to move in pain. We don't always know how to move in health. Mm-hmm. So I want people to kind of, you know, think about this whole with Jada relationship kind of thing is people say, why would they stay together? And I think even on the red table, he was like something like, you know, we're going to stick it out, you know, through the ugly, bad, the bad and bad. He said some comment that people were bothered about that, despite the troubles in their marriage, that they going to make it work no matter what. I call that emotional hijacking. You got mm-hmm. two people who are basically emotional hijacking. Basically, when you're in a constant state of being hijacked by your emotions. Now, here's what's interesting about this concept is that emotional hijacking doesn't happen just because of negative emotions. Love can trigger emotional hijacking. What does all that mean? Basically, what it is is that our brain has the higher cortex of your brain. The the front part of your brain is a higher cortex where where logic and rationale decision are made. Then you have the amygdala part of your brain where emotions dwell. And so in everything that happened with us, it moves through our spinal cord up through our brain. Mm. But before we get to the front part of your logical part, it has to filter through the amygdala, the lobotic system where emotions lie. So here's the deal, uh, Mike. If people are in a heightened state of emotional distress all the time, their ability to make good, sound, rational decisions are disabled and hampered 80% of the time. Thus, why a woman can stay with a man who abuses her or a man can stay with a woman who abuses him. Constant state of emotional row by emotional hijacking. It goes in both directions. So when you look at unhealthy relationships, when I told you behind every behavior, there is an emotion. If you ain't getting help to deal with them emotions, you can't get help to savage behavior or even a relationship. Wow. Guys, I know you're enjoying my interview with uh, this distinguished doctor, uh, licensed clinical psychotherapist. My good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham is with us on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show and just been enjoying our conversation. We're getting ready to take another break, guys. When we come back, we're going to jump back into our interview with Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. You don't want to go anywhere. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back.
don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. The Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Vision should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister, Michael Nimitz. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision. Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. I know you're enjoying my interview with licensed clinical psychotherapist, my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. He is here with us on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And uh, we've been talking about a number of different issues and topics uh, uh, concerning mental health. And uh, particularly in the last segment, we talked a lot about uh, Will and Jada and uh, what happened at the Oscars. But in this segment, we want to transition into uh, talking about COVID and mental health. Uh, we've talked a lot about the physical aspects of the COVID-19 virus, uh, but I want to talk about uh, COVID-19 and the mental uh, aspect of it. You know, I am double vaxxed and I have the booster and uh, I, along with many, many people, uh, have gotten vaccinated uh, to take care of the physical uh, impact of uh, the virus and trying not to get it and trying not to uh, spread it and wearing masks and all kinds of other things that are being done to uh, prevent the spread of COVID-19. But very little has been talked about when it comes to the mental aspect of this virus and how it has impacted us, not just as individuals, but us collectively as a country and even around the world. And I want to talk uh, a little bit about that. I want to get your thoughts and feedback about uh, how COVID-19 has affected us mentally, uh, the mental aspect of it. How has it changed us, uh, especially when it comes to interpersonal communications? We're all uh, used to being able to talk to each other in person and uh, in close proximity to one another. And 
uh, COVID-19 has changed that in many respects. Uh, to replace that uh, interpersonal communication, we have uh, integrated it with now Zoom or replaced it with Zoom and, and Teams video applications to kind of um, <clears throat> reduce some of the effects of uh, the impact of this COVID-19 virus. But I want to hear from Dr. Buckingham and, and, and how uh, he feels uh, when it comes to the uh, the impact of this COVID-19 virus, not just on our physicality, but us on our mentality. Dr. Buckingham. Yeah, I think those numbers, unfortunately, have increased due to COVID because COVID, uh, what it did to us mentally is that I think it created a worldwide um, anxiety um, culture. And an anxiety culture is basically when people are consumed by the unknown. And so the COVID did that. COVID was, if I get it, will I get sick? How sick will I get? If I get it, would I die? If my loved ones get it, will they die? And so when we have this, this unknown, there's this great deal of anxiety, which anxiety is a mental health issue. And, and, it, and it devastates quite a few people. Uh, also, I think COVID showed up from a mental health perspective through depression because people were isolated and individuals who had outlets by being interpersonal now was isolated and they had no ways of dealing with feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. And uh, it showed up financially, you know. Um, and so anyway, COVID mentally, I think, did a number on, on society. It did a number on relationships because now people were forced to deal with issues in their marriages and relationships that they were able to run from because they had busy life schedules. They get up at seven o'clock and take the kids to school and they go to work and they're eight hours away from each other. And then they come back home and they have dinner and go to bed and do it all over again. COVID said, nope. You know what? The fact that we have poor communication, the fact that we are in love and not we love each other, but not in love. We got to deal with this thing now because I'm waking up to you every day. Mm -hmm. And so COVID, it demonstrated a lot of things and brought about a lot of mental health issues that was not necessarily being addressed. All that being said, do you think we'll ever return to some sense of normalcy with uh, interpersonal communications as it relates to COVID-19? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, that's a great question. Will we turn of a sense of normalcy? And um, I think because of technology, we weren't there anyways. <laughs> I think technology had already broken down the barrier. And to your point, it has only just been used to kind of work through some of the COVID-19 issues. But I don't think we get back to a sense of normalcy. In my opinion, we've been broken for a while when it comes to that interpersonal uh, ability with with all the social media platforms, it was broken anyways. Wow. And, and then we look at you know iPhones. I mean, people would text you before they call you. Uh, <laughs> so you know, texting has replaced talking. Uh, mm. So I don't. I don't think. I think again, COVID nineteen just made something worse than what we were already trending in that direction. So I don't know what a sense of normalcy is these days when it comes to our interpersonal skills. Um, they are declining and they have been declining with the, the rise of technology anyways. Wow. So. 
I know you guys are enjoying my interview with licensed clinical psychotherapist, my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. And uh, we've been talking about a number of different issues and topics all under the umbrella of mental health. And I want to throw something else in the mix here. Uh, We just talked about COVID and now I want to talk about sports and mental health because we're seeing as a trend now where uh, professional athletes uh, seem to be using mental health uh, as a reason, uh, some say an excuse uh, for not uh participating in tournaments, uh, refusing uh, to speak to the media, uh, being sensitive when it comes to fan criticism, uh, athletes like uh, gold medal medalist Simone Biles and professional tennis player Naomi Osaki and NBA star uh, Ben Simmons. Uh, so I want to know from you, uh, is this a valid of reasons that does sports and mental health intersect or is this uh, generation of athletes um, not as mentally tough as prior generations you know or is this is there something else going on here I have my uh, opinions of this but I want to know what your thoughts are about this Dr. Buckingham Right. So that's another excellent question. Again, since we're talking about mental health, I'm going to label it anxiety performance. Um, And that has nothing to do with generations. That has everything to do with individuals' ability to cope and how they see the world. So anxiety performance basically is apprehension of fear of not being able to perform at a certain level and being able to achieve. Now, what causes that is what we need to look at, not necessarily looking at it from a generational perspective, but personal life experiences and different things actually can cause it. The source of it, or one of the sources of it, is negative thoughts. And those negative thoughts stem from, you know, and that's tied to our confidence level. Do I truly have the ability to step up the way that the world perceives I should step up? And that thought creates that anxiety. That when they start to think that, what if I fail? What if I'm not as good as they have paid me to be? Mm. And that, what we call, ties into self-fulfilling prophecy, where you literally can be skilled, but because of the anxiety, you can underperform. So we want to understand the complexity of, of the mental health issue around that. Now, when it comes to are they mentally um, weaker uh, than, you know, I would say the, the athletes of the Jordan era and some of those. Again, I, I don't know if I would say weaker or stronger. I would say, again, that processing is different for each individual. Now, society has also shaped and influenced, I believe, whether or not and to what extent individuals experience anxiety performance. Social media, as we know, in Michael Jordan days, and, and whatnot, we knew how great he was. We definitely had the media. I was a Michael Jordan friend, but we did not have Facebook. We did not have Twitter. We did not have every move that you made, whether it was professional or personal was advertised on every made. We did not have that. And so what I would say that that does influence the mindset. 
I know you've enjoyed my interview with my good friend, licensed clinical psychotherapist, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. We've been so uh, happy to have had him on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show as we discussed mental health and suicide and a number of uh, issues and topics related to uh, these two main uh, uh, main categories of mental health and suicide. But before we let you go, Dr. Buckingham, I want you to share with our listeners how they can get in touch with you, uh, how they can reach out to you if they are in need of some counseling, if they are in need of some therapy. After all, that is the main reason why we did a show like this. We felt led to do something like this because there are so many people that are in need of mental health uh, therapy their need of assistance when it comes to their their men, their mental health and I want you to be able I want them to be able to reach out to someone that has the experience as well as the sensitivity uh, to uh, handle uh, these types of issues so uh, Dr. Buckingham take it away Okay, well, the easiest way, everyone would give their social media handles, and I guess you can go there with me, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham on Facebook and Twitter and those places, but literally, I would tell you to just go to my website, and that's drbuckingham.com, drbuckingham.com, and from there, you can navigate and understand more about what I have to offer, which is coaching and counseling, and for organizations, consulting, because if you're dealing with people who have mental health, I specialize in helping you make sure that you're delivering services that does not re-traumatize them. So even for organizations, whether it be non-for-profit or for-profits, reach out, go to my website, say, hey, we need you to come in and talk to our, our congregation. We need you to come in and talk to our staff, our team. We need you to come in and do some trainings on these various issues, drbuckingham.com. Thank you for having me, good brother. There you have it, guys. I know you have enjoyed my interview with uh, licensed clinical psychotherapist, my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. So happy to have had him on this week's edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And again, if you are listening and you need some help, if you need counseling, if you need some therapy, if you just need somebody to talk to, I would highly recommend reaching out uh, to this licensed clinical psychotherapist, someone who is experienced and has the sensitivity to talk to you, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. DrDwayneBuckingham.com is the website. I, re- I highly recommend you reach out and get the help that you need today. Thanks again, Dwayne, Dr. Buckingham, for joining us on this week's edition. We wish you nothing but success uh, in all that you do, man. May God continue to bless you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you 
told you to believe. Who told you that you were naked? It's a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. It's time, 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 Lover, you understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemes. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. Our thought for this week is entitled, You Gotta Fight. The scripture declares in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse number 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A powerful scripture that describes the minefield that encompasses both the mental and spiritual realm. A battlefield of the mind that has taken so many casualties. So many lives have to come to the battlefield that lies in the mind. So much is happening in the world around us From COVID to domestic violence From police brutality to relationships And it affects all of us in different ways We can't just look on the surface To see the impact of these problems we just mentioned In fact, sometimes you don't know what a person is going through Unless they've shared it with us Or until you see an outward expression of some inward pain And by then, many times, it's already too late. This is why our mental health is so very important. Our mind is the most powerful muscle in our body, but it becomes our weakest if we don't nurture and cultivate it. If we're not careful on what we expose it to, if we're not constantly monitoring what we allow to take a residence in our mind, we could become another casualty ourselves. We cannot allow negativity to take up space in our mind. We cannot allow doubt and fear to occupy space in our mind. We cannot allow confusion and frustration to take up residence in our mind. Because what we allow in our mind is ultimately what we become. Our outward man is heavily influenced by our inward man. 
This is why we've got to fight for our mental health. It's a battle that we cannot afford to lose. Our mind is one of the greatest gifts that has been given to us by God because it is from our mind that our thoughts are developed. It is from our mind that our goals are mapped out. It is from our mind that our vision is normalized. Our identity is formed in our mind. Our purpose is hinged in our mind. Our destiny is birthed in our mind. This is why we cannot afford to lose the battle for our mind. The Apostle Paul made it clear in the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, what we should be thinking about. He said, finally, my brother, whatsoever things that are true, whatsoever things that are honest, whatsoever things that are just, whatsoever things that are pure, whatsoever things that are lovely, whatsoever things that are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The Apostle Paul expresses the importance of our mental health by identifying those things that should be our focus. And so we've got to fight for our mental health. You've got to fight for your peace of mind. You've got to fight for your peace at home. You've got to fight for your sanity. You've got to fight for your mental stability. You've got to fight to overcome. You've got to fight to have peace. You've got to fight for your children. You've got to fight for your family. You've got to fight for your loved ones. You've got to fight to defeat depression. You've got to fight to overcome this demon of suicide. You got to fight. You got to fight. You got to fight. That was a powerful thought of the week You gotta fight And believe me You got to have that kind of bulldog tenacity To not allow depression To not allow anxiety or frustration To take up residence in your mind Because your mental health is worth fighting for I want to give a special shout out to my good friend, Dr. Dwayne Buckingham, licensed clinical psychotherapist, for being with us on this week's Mental Health Matters edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We truly, truly appreciate you. And if you're listening and you are in need of counseling or therapy, we highly recommend that you contact Dr. Dwayne Buckingham. Just go to his website, drbuckingham.com. That's drbuckingham.com. And someone will be happy. Happy to get your information and put you in touch with uh, this licensed clinical psychotherapist that I'm sure will get you the help that you need to get through whatever it is that you're going through. Also, if you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, we strongly recommend you contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a United States-based suicide prevention network of over 160 crisis centers that provides 24-7 service via toll-free hotline with the phone number 
273-8255. The website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. We recommend going there immediately. If you're contemplating that suicide, you need somebody to talk that to right away. Call that number again, 1-800-273-8255. Remember, your mental health is worth fighting for. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's Mental Health Matters edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. And again, we hope this show blessed you. We hope this episode blessed you and what we discussed was a benefit to you. If it was, be sure to like and even subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Let somebody know what's going on right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. We really try to do our best to give you... uh, 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 quality content, uh, bringing you the best minds, giving you their best thoughts right here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Your support helps us to increase our exposure across the world wide web. Well, guys, we're getting ready to get out of here, but until next time, always remember, if you think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve with the power rests within you. The mind is the most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. To get more info about the show and the ministry, visit michaelnemons.com. Want to book radio host Michael Nemons for your next special event? Send an email to contact at michaelnemons.com. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you.